Hello and welcome to the latest Sounds of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Travis McMaster. So Travis has a PhD in sports science and he's worked in a range of different sports from ice hockey all the way through to Paralympic snowboard. Currently he's working as a head strength and conditioning coach at the All Black Sevens, a position where he uses profiling to improve gym-based prescription. So if you're interested in looking at testing, today is the perfect time to listen to how Travis can improve gym-based prescription using the tests which he performs on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Travis onto the show. So Travis, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here, brother, man. I appreciate it. I'm just sitting uh, 4.30 in the afternoon down in the bottom of New Zealand, um, just living the, living the beach life here. With the, uh, <laughs> a little bit of strength and conditioning on the side all black sevens athletes so yeah we just we actually were really lucky as a little town called mount monganui um live about 500 meters from the beach so we just me and the assistant coach just jumped in the sea he almost stepped on a stingray earlier so we just had to keep an eye <laughs> <laughs> mate that's a different life that's a different but, life uh, first pretty much feels like the first day of summer here so it's, yeah it's beautiful it's tiring Amazing. I'm not even slightly jealous that it's coming towards winter now. It's like <laughs> six thirty in the morning here is dark and horrible and oh yeah. mate, yeah. But anyway, we're we're not here to discuss your fantastic uh life and uh, my miserable uh, winter, but we're here to discuss uh profiling and uh how that can influence gym based performance. So obviously uh with your background with the All Blacks and you've got like an extensive background in research as well, right? Can you take us through that really quickly? Yeah, so a bit of a journey. I'll take you through the Pulse Notes version of that. So, yeah, I'm currently All Black Sevens SNC coach, head SNC coach. Um, did my research over here, did my PhD at AUT in um, strength, force, velocity, power profiling. So, how we measure it, why we measure it, is it useful, how can we use it? So, yeah, i always been obsessed with biomechanics my whole life. Um, originally, obviously, wanted to be a professional athlete, didn't quite pan out. <laughs> So it kind of led me into, I want to be in sport for the rest of my life. So that's kind of, yeah, I don't quite sound like a Kiwi if you get catch my accent right now. So yeah, I grew up in Canada, um, Southern Ontario, played hockey. They call it ice hockey over here, but played hockey my whole life. Um, and yeah, played contact sports, always wanted to work in sport. So if I wasn't an athlete, I was going to be in this industry for a long time. So yeah, it's kind of panned out quite nice to be working with all around the world with professional developmental Olympic athletes so yeah been pretty cool pretty cool journey back and forth between North America Australia New Zealand Canada US pretty pretty fun pretty fun ride absolutely excellent mate so when we're when we're talking about profiling um can you take us through what that is and why it's important for for sports scientists SNC coaches athletes to be to be doing this yeah 100 percent um pretty broad question i know the topic's pretty broad but what is profiling so basically in our our environment we always ask four questions so why what how and when so why are we profiling why are we profiling what are we profiling how are we going to measure it how are we going to do it and when are we going to do it and then are there any meaningful outcomes out of it so so i'm not sure who wrote this quote but it's uh measure what matters and measure what will make a difference so I'll claim it right now, but I don't, I don't think it's my quote. It's someone else's on the internet. But uh, basically, if the information isn't meaningful, you're not using it. Why are you measuring it? So that'd be the first question for any coach, sports scientist, is make sure it's meaningful and don't just collect information for the sake of it because 
in this world, there's so much technology being thrown at you, new gadgets and this and that. It's going to save the world, make that athlete unstoppable. Just make sure you trust the data, right? And as it's coming from a scientific background, like you make sure the data is valid and reliable first, and then is it meaningful to your program? So with our environment, environment, we have like, we create like a holistic profile, we call it. So we look at rugby, we look at um, mind, body, behavior, lifestyle for that athlete. So that's a real holistic profile. We won't go into the nuts and bolts of that. We'll just focus on the physical side of it, but Tracy creates like a health and performance passport for that athlete. So identifies their strengths, their weaknesses, their deficiencies, and how we can make them better from a, from a big picture. So the whole basically medical rugby performance team come together to work and discuss the athlete, put the athlete in the center, right? How do we make this athlete better from all areas? So that's, that's big picture profiling. We're, we'll probably get more into the nitty gritty in terms of physical, what we do from a physical context. So yeah. So what, why, why are those things then important? I mean, obviously it's, it sounds great. Athletes in the middle, we want to make them better. Like what, why do those things then matter? Whew. Well, it helps us better to understand the athlete, right? Um, we can track change in that athlete over time, fatigue, readiness. So a lot of things that come in, we can create competition when we measure it. We can look at the state of the, we call it state of the athlete. So mentally, physically, how's that athlete tolerating load? How's that athlete look from a performance perspective? The only reason we're doing it is to make them a better rugby player, to make them perform. And so if it doesn't link back to performance on the pitch or field or ice or court, then there's no point measuring it in that sense. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's so, a clear link, clear link for us at least. So yeah, so when, when information just at once there. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like obviously we need to to kind of like get that more specific as well. So like when you're when you're talking about uh, profiling, and obviously you've mentioned the holistic stuff, stuff which might be interesting to talk about too, but. What kind of tests are going to make up a, a, a profile for a, a team sport athlete then? Yeah, we call it like a battery of tests. We try not to do testing that as per se in our environment. We try to, we call it monitoring, but it, yeah, it is a sense of testing. You build it in within your program, within your supersets, within your warm-up, your off. So an example on a given day, let's look at a Monday. If it's upper body day, we'll do, we'll do the upper body mobility. They'll do a performance test. We apply a press-up on the force plate. So that'll be their neural measure for that Monday instead of a vertical jump, if you will. So we'll look at their force output on the plates, their mean force, tons of mean force, their concentric impulse. And we'll drop, put a leaderboard up for the players on the big screen, and then they can have a little competition that gets a bit more output out of them as well. So there's ways you, you use this in your environment. And towards the end of those sessions, we'll do some isometrics tests as well. Like this example will be we do shoulder external internal rotation with a dyno at 90 degrees. It gives us max force. So that's a snapshot of a Monday. But whew, I'll give you a snapshot of all the tests we look at with the plyo press up, neck strength isometrics, shoulder strength isometrics, groins. So we got a force frame from um, that we look at adduction, abduction, calf isometrics. Single leg isometric squat, counter jump drop from single leg. This is all built into a week, but it's built into training. So it's built into supersets and the systems are automated now. So data comes in, data comes up to our athlete monitoring system and boom, it's displayed. So 
if you get the system in place from the get-go and really think it through what you want to look at and what's important to you from a, this is the when, from a weekly, bi-weekly, quarterly basis, then you can create a really effective program in terms of monitoring and utilizing information. So you bring the whole team together, ask what's important, and then work it out what you want to actually measure in your environment. So we measure a lot in our environment, but it doesn't feel like it because it's built into training. It's built across our training week. So if I list all those to you and we do those on a Monday, yeah, it's going to look big. It's going to look like a task you can't complete. So those would be this typical monitor we do on a weekly, bi-weekly. And then we have all the big rocks we look at on block basis, obviously. And what, what, were, they, uh, what were they include? Sorry? What, yeah, sorry, yeah, you, you were listening. I was, I was asking them, you were already listing them. So uh, what, what, what would they include? Uh, big blocks is our big lifts, right? So we only measure them every block, every six to eight weeks. Um, we'll build up to a, a, high, a single, double, or triple for a squat or deadlift or split squat. So all athletes don't necessarily do the same lower body movement depending on training age, where they're at, low back pain, et cetera. So we don't have a one size fits all in a program, but study some of different lower body focuses depending on the person in the block. So we'll measure that, we'll measure power clean. Most people um, will do a CMJ 50, which we do bi-weekly with uh, gym aware and force plate. So counter and jump with 50 kgs. So how you move load versus how you just move your body explosively. Um, bench, chin, so all the all the meathead lifts we still do. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then we'll sprint. We'll sprint through the lights. We'll do flying tens, some twenty meter exiles. And in New Zealand, they use a test called the Bronco. It's a it's a fitness test, which is basically five, twenty, forty, sixty meter shuttles continuously for time. Um, quite a good indicator of how fit our rugby players are for sevens. It's quite applicable to sevens for some longer duration sports that might not be as applicable people run like bouchettes um 30 15 or uh, what's the other one yo-yo as well our environment um we do it at the beginning of training it'll be five six minutes to be done carry on the training after that fitness test so logistically quite good for a team sport if you will versus taking yeah. 20 minutes to run through a test on the field so if yeah we do nordics on a friday at the end of training we never do them during the week. We do ISOs and dynamic stuff during the week, and we'll save our heavy, our heavy, long, slow Nordic stuff for the end of the week so we don't take away from rugby. So there's things. It's uh, not just important what test. It's when you place them into your, into your program, right? I'm yeah. sure you've experienced yeah. that as well, like where you want to place certain things in terms of output from a power, straight, ISO, eccentric point of view for that athlete. To still get yeah, the stimulus, I, but not take away from what they're there for to play rugby. Absolutely, I think um, it's it's interesting as well to to compare, for example, your system of doing it throughout the week as opposed to taking one moment. Um, obviously, you can be a lot more consistent within that, and yeah, potentially they they don't get their best output every week, but because you've built up so many data points, then you can kind of work out where they are at any given moment. Yeah, and that, that's a good point. And we bring, that brings us to like how we display it and report it back to the athlete, right? So we use, we use a Z-score, but we convert it to a, a STEN. If you know what a STEN is, it's out of a 10-point scale. And yeah. five is that athlete's average. And any above or below, that's related to their standard deviation. So if you're 
You can base it on the athlete's average out of 10, or you can base it on the team average and see how high or low they are compared to the team. So it's a Z score basically converted to a 10-point score, where zero would okay. be five. And you can, so athletes can really visualize what 10 means. They can't visualize what 2.56 means. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's quite a good scale. Of, I got it from a guy named Jordan Truster. He used to be the Vegas um, Phil Knight's uh, sports scientist. It's quite applied and quite easy for athletes to visualize and coaches as well for that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine if you're if you're looking at I don't know a Nordic um, peak force or whatever in uh, in your your left hamstring, and you're like, oh, that's 550 newtons or whatever, and you're like, well, what does that mean? Um, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to that person. So we have a standard for them. They got to be. We want a minimum of 1.1 times body weight for Nordic mm-hmm. strength. So if they're thousand newtons in weight we want them to produce thousand one hundred newtons in force minimum during a eccentric during a nordic contraction so most of our guys are around 1.2 our high risk guys are under one so we really try to bump them up they're a lot higher risk of uh, injury because their hamstrings are so weak so yeah when we look at nordics we have like it's based on body weight in terms of how we shift them do, do you do that similarly to for other lifts or for other uh, isometrics, for example? We do it for isos. We do it for single leg calf raise, single leg squat, four times body weight for a single leg squat um, is what we look for in terms of a, face a lot of weight. Face a 150 degree um, knee angle. They're, and they're driving up with one leg into a bar. So like similar to those mid-thighpole setups, we have a squat setup. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought you were talking that. like pistol squat with like four times body weight. I'm like, no, that's like, going to be tricky. No, just isometric force output when they do it. Yeah, okay, we go yeah. for that four times body weight output for that athlete. Um, calf raise, we're still playing through it, but it looks to be around standing calves around 3.5. Not, not enough data points yet to confirm if that's going to stick there and the average is going to go up or down. Yeah. But yeah, we're just playing around with some of the calf data. Our, our physio team's huge on it, so we do seated calf, standing calf, because uh, in rugby, calves are quite tight. The running sport, a lot of hard start, stop, changing directions. Throughout the season, we'll change surfaces. We're playing on grass. We're playing in the desert where it's super dry. We're playing on turf, so it's we're playing where it's wet. So it's a lot of different loads through the body as you go. And obviously, the hard surfaces are, are the most highest impact high force when the athletes are dealing with that so it's making sure those that posterior chains robust so calves hamstrings hips right absolutely and obviously you're you're kind of using all of this data right and you're profiling athletes but how do you then um adjust the the profiling and testing for the individuals because obviously you've got you've got in new zealand and especially in rugby you've got some big guys you've got some small quick guys how do you how are you gonna adjust those either the testing batteries or the profile to to suit the different types of athletes you've got in front of you? Yeah, so we'll they'll all do the same tests, these boys. So I'll do the same we'll run them through the same testing battery. It's just we'll bucket them into groups. So seven's a bit different than fifteens, right? There's a bit more homogeneous, more yeah. similar. The players are more like rugby league or similar body types, so similar outputs in terms of fitness, strength, power, where rugby Union 15, there's a huge difference between a front row guy and a winger in terms of their strength and speed, right? Where our group's a little bit more homogenous. But we still yep. bucket them. We got, we'll call it um, physical type forwards that 
um, or a lot or bigger. So our environment. Are you guys in kgs, pounds, about hundred uh, kilos, preferably. <laughs> Otherwise, I've got to do maths and I can't do that. No, no, we're in kilos as well. So we're like, yeah, our 102, 100 to 104 kg guys are our big forwards, and that's not that big in the 15s, right? Yep. And yeah, we'll bucket them, and then we'll bucket our backs, our playmakers. They're more around 80 to 90 kgs. So we'll have the differences in comparison for groups. What we want them to be up for, say, speed. We want this guy running 30K, 38k an hour because he's outside, he's a winger. We want him at least hitting those speeds. Where a front row guy or Strong four, we'll have one at 35 plus. So our groups, they're all fast in sevens. It's just some are way extremely fast. I was going to say, 30, 30, 35 kilometers an hour is not a slow speed. So, 35 yeah. will be our slowest guys, and then their fastest will be 38, 39. They're just speed. So what you get with sevens, light, fast, some track background guys, and they're just, yeah, just rapid athletes. I think it's a, sure an, in, an interesting sport oh, to work in that sense. Uh, We'll normalize stuff to body weight, like I said, as well, to mm. compare. Um, yep. I won't go pure science. I'm not going to use a coefficient of 0.67 or anything like that. We just go straight body weight to compare. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. athletes, like, what is this exponent for? <laughs> yeah. No, we'll just go straight relative strength to compare certain players for squat, bench, et cetera. And same with our isometric and dynamic outputs. Excellent. And obviously that, that has to, to impact some kind of training or yeah, adjusted uh yeah, 100%. variables within within the programming. So obviously you've got you've got that huge profile, brilliant, you've tested, you've maybe normalized the body weight, all of those kind of things. Um how does that then impact what you're doing on the field or in the gym? Yeah, huge, huge impact in the gym. We got we got the block lifts they always do, and then we have complex or secondary movements that will build into that complex or contrast stuff as well as prep and post we call we call it rehab but it's more like physical resiliency training we can't say injury prevention because we can't prevent injury but we can make you more resilient to hopefully help that process but uh yeah we'll look at an athlete's output in terms of strength and if they need say more max strength work or more base strength work based on where they are on that spectrum we'll give them that Another example is looking at their ability to move their bodies to, um, in terms of their force and velocity output. We could have a, a force-deficient athlete where we still want them with, say, a really heavy med ball putting a lot of force into the ground, or we might have a velocity or rate of force-deficient athlete where that movement will be with a lighter implement and you'll be more reactive. So if someone might be feeding on the ball and he'll be trying to create a high rate of force putting it in the ground or putting it through the wall. So the tempo of the movements will change in terms of how we produce the force. Is it a long movement or is it a short, explosive, snappy movement based on what we're trying to shift with that athlete based on – we might try to shift someone's strengths even further because we know that's going to help them dominate. But we might have to bring up some of those deficiencies and weaknesses to get them to a place where it doesn't hit – if it doesn't hit, so it doesn't hinder them in the game, makes them better. Big one for us is off the deck, so – off the ground in rugby, so you make a tackle. How quickly you're up and ready to go again is a very important part of our game. So the quicker we can do that on attack and D, the quicker we get the ball, the quicker we make a decision. So every training, every movement in, on the field is based on your effort on attack and D. So effort being how quick you're back in position to attack, how quick you're back in position to play D. So that's why the press-up's a big one with us, how quick you back up and going. So guys that are slow and heavy off the ground, we see it in training. We fly it in the gym to, okay, to shift that, obviously. 
So I don't know if you guys have seen that in any of your environments, but that's kind of me trying to link it all back to the game and rugby and the power to apply that for that athlete. Absolutely but, excellent. And okay, obviously yeah. go ahead. Obviously you've got some some max lifts in there as well. <clears throat> um do do you find force deficient guys or is it mostly because obviously you're working at the top level, right? Like yeah. I imagine most people are not bad at lifting weights. They've got to the point where they're like they're pretty high up. You're probably not going, oh, you need to, to squat a little bit more, that kind of stuff. Is it mostly just focused on speed, power, and maintaining the, the physical qualities which underpin those things? It's funny because it's not because in New Zealand, in New Zealand, they're so good at rugby. They just play rugby, right? There's not necessarily yeah. a huge like um, meathead gym environment. So we get guys 19, 20 out of school and they're unbelievable rugby players. They're physically dominant on the field. They're fast. They can do everything. But you get them in the gym, some of them, the like, huge learning curve for some of the boys to, to move properly and build. We, a lot of boys, we got to build a base. So we got a big range of players. We got 18 and we got 37. Within, within this, so that's our age group in the squad. So you got to get pretty creative and individualize what they're doing and how they're doing it in the gym. So you almost have like, it's not a development squad because they're part of an eight ball back seven, but their focus for the first 12 months is going to be that base aerobic strength um proper plyometrics proper movement to get them to a place where they can express themselves on the field so that's yeah it's a right new zealand's different because they all play rugby everyone's good at rugby it's, yeah. Yeah, it's the other side yeah. of it, how we get them help them in the gym to make that even better so yeah now we get a range of players um that's why this baseline testing and profiling monitor is really good important for us because we have such a wide group we got to identify where they're at along the spectrum. Absolutely excellent. And obviously what what I'd like to do is then bring this all together and make it kind of applicable as well, right? So can you give us a, a case study as to how you've used profiling like this, maybe give us some different tests and some different ideas of, of the data within that, um, and how then you've obviously adjusted the the training to make sure that they're getting the best possible adaptation? Yeah, okay. I won't give you the guys' names, but we found... Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, of course. Now, so we got some season players, some leaders on their program that have been unbelievable rugby players for 15 years, but they still, when we've come in, they've still seen huge deficiencies in specific like strength areas, for example, would be posterior train. We've had, we had a handful of guys that were well below 1.8.9 of body weight for their Nordic hamstring because they weren't comfortable producing force in that long eccentric phase. Surprisingly, they didn't have that many hamstring injuries, but he started to get them later in this early in their career, right? That when they started hitting 34, 35, they started to get these injuries. And we started looking into it, and they were super weak posterior chain. So, yeah, we, we basically blanketed it and made sure we got all five boys through a good eight-week block. Everyone went well above one, and the rest was history in terms of that Nordic strength or um, hamstring strength. Um, one other important thing is, we found if we weren't running them fast often, it also would lead to hamstring injuries as well. So with us, if we weren't seeing them hit 90% speed, at least every other week, we were there, we had to make sure they were exposed to both ends of that spectrum, the hamstring excursion, so the hamstring contracting fast, as well as the hamstring producing a lot of force. So we found when we covered both ends of that spectrum, that the athletes were able to 
be more resilient, if you will, from a repeat sprint perspective, for, which is so important to our game. Um, same with RSI when we started introducing single leg drop jumps. Sorry, I think a lot of them are useless at this movement pattern. And we found huge asymmetries when we moved from double leg to single leg, bilateral to unilateral. So we noticed when they did bilateral drop jumps, sometimes you wouldn't see much asymmetry between left and right. But as soon as we separated the limbs and made them do single leg movements, you would see massive differences. So a lot of our explosive tests will have a single leg component as well. So we can help better identify that to improve it. Yeah, absolutely excellent. And um, what about the uh, the isometric stuff? Because obviously, yeah, you've, you've mentioned some dynamic stuff and the, the the hamstring stuff, but like, how are you using then the the isometrics to to improve performance? So we do maximum force isos, like overcoming type movements for our guys. So we'll see if someone's if someone's super deficient in a pure max force isometric, be be it single leg, um, say single leg squat. They probably don't have the base strength high enough anyway if they're really deficient. But if they're at a decent level in terms of their squat clean pattern, in terms of strength, and their ISO is still kind of low, they'll have a, they'll have more more supersets in that program where we're doing three sets of three with three seconds overcoming explosive ISO, like hammering into a bar for three seconds. Um, we'll build up from three up to no more than eight, max of 10 seconds. We usually don't go much past seven. But... We build that into the program. We got something called we microdose on our at the end of trainings as well, where they might have just four sets of an exercise to help bridge that gap for that athlete. So it might be end of the day, training's done. Okay, come in, do your do your max force isometrics, do your four sets of four, done. That's you, you're getting extra two doses a week, say on the Tuesday and Thursday. And it's not that taxing on the athlete, but it's gonna help shift that player. So we do a lot of the microdosing at the end of days and on some of our low days for ISOs. So it's a one-way SNCs can build it into their program as well. Or that's how we've done it in the past. So working in North American sports, it's after games. The boys are lifting for 30 minutes after games. We play 82 games a year. So it's a, that's a different world than our world. But I took some of the concepts from them and applied it to our environment, how to shift doing a couple sets of these movements to help improve that athlete. I think, I think that's really interesting because obviously in, in a lot of sports, there's not that busy schedule, right? So everyone, everyone's kind of like, they're, they're worried about the, the volume and the, yeah, the, maybe the nitty gritty parts of how to um, apply a stimulus in a, in a really high load training environment. Whereas actually really high load is like you mentioned, the ridiculous amount of games per year. And yeah, the only lift you get is that 30 minutes after a game when they're already tired and that's uh yeah, maybe not the the most optimal environment to be lifting in, but it's it's getting it done, right? <laughs> yeah, brother. Hope I'm not boring the listeners here, but yeah, there's a lot of information that goes into it. It's a lot of science behind the scenes that goes into all this choices and movements and measurement and assessment. So hope it hope it's been enjoyable and hope I've helped a few people ask Absolutely, a few questions in their, their environment. Absolutely. So where where can people find out a little bit more about you and, and what you're up to? So yeah, not a huge social media presence. Um, but started to do a few podcasts this year. My buddy just suggested, oh, I'll do a few of those, see how you feel and see if you're interested in talking more. So yeah, it's been quite a quite a good process to just think about my philosophy, my training, what we do and put it into words instead of just on paper. It's easy for us as yeah. it's easy to write it in a spreadsheet or write it up on Team Builder or do a PowerPoint presentation. It's different when we can speak about it. So yeah, 
thanks for having me on. Um, I got an Instagram account. I got a LinkedIn um, ResearchGate, which is like my research account where all my publications and work is from academia. Um, and I got an athlete training guide on Amazon, which is just a short 40-page guide on basically how to become an athlete and be a better athlete. Pretty short guide, yeah. So those are my main main sources at the moment. Absolutely excellent. So Travis, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and look forward to speaking again sometime soon. Yeah, appreciate it, brother. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Travis for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overflowing library of sports science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. That means you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. And of course, every time you complete one of these courses, you get a certificate of completion, which means you can prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free for seven days. All you need to do is click the link in the show notes and you can be in there in just a few seconds time. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend it to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, I'm Matt Solomon of Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.